0: Good morning. How are you all doing today? Good, good. Hi, I'm Rob, if I haven't met you before. Um, glad to be with you. We're continuing today with uh, really a, a walk through the book of Hebrews, which I'll be the first one to say, and, and I think last week we had five folks that said they were going to read through the, the book with you. Well, hopefully you're reading along, but Hebrews is not the easiest one to figure out what the author is getting uh, getting to for us, frankly. So today we're going to walk through a bit, a couple pieces of, of chapters 3 and 4. And before I kind of reconnect with last week, there's a few things that I'm going to use today since we have families in here together. That is to say we have uh, parents and kids and there's no CK, uh, Covenant and Kingdom kids today, so we're all here together. So we're going to try to do, accomplish three things out of this. We're going to pay attention to, first of all, family because I think family comes out of this portion of the text, Uh, certainly as the author uses Israel and the Jews and the history of the Old Testament to connect with the family, number one. Number two, we're going to talk about faith, because I think that's a a telling word for what the kids have been working on. And number three, we're going to talk about obedience. Obedience. And so, oh, here we go. So I'm going to, right now, I'm going to ask for your... Patience because I'm probably going to be a little more direct today than I have been at other times. To include the kids in the room, right? Kids paying attention. I don't see any eyes right here. I know that Sarah's talking. Yeah, we're going to make sure we're all on the same page. And this is also going to be about parents, too. So if I cause you to squirm as a parent or a kid today, I kind of apologize. My disclaimer, though, is that I, too, am a parent. And so don't think that means I have it all figured out, okay? So with that in mind, let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we come before you today as your children, as your family, and we pray, Father, that you would grant us your spirit, a spirit of willingness to listen and learn, a spirit of willingness to admit our shortcomings, and, and also, Father, a spirit of repentance and forgiveness so father in this time this message help us to take something today something practical something real about faith uh, help us to take something out of this place that will make a difference in our lives because we are yours we pray this in Jesus name amen okay so we're going to walk through some of this like I said I'm going to try to point some things out from Hebrews within the context of the book itself it's a rich rich book not too many books within the New Testament really tie Old Testament, that is the history of God's people, with the New Testament. That is what's new in Christ Jesus. And as Pastor told us last week, here we have a book with an author whom we really don't know who it is, number one, not that it's important because we know that it came from the Spirit of God for sure. And this was, this was important for the church of the New Testament. That is to say, this was important for the apostles and those who were growing in the faith, so it's important to us. But secondly, we do know that it's primarily written to a Jewish audience. That is to say, to those who had a very, very strong heritage to the Old Testament, to the law and the prophets. We also know that it's written, let's just call it kind of 60 AD, so we're about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. We're before the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed, and, and, and we know that, that Christians— of all ages are experiencing tremendous, tremendous persecution. This isn't a club that they've joined in this time. This is a way of life that puts your actual life at jeopardy. So, a little different than our context, we have to admit, but that's what they were experiencing and we're going to try to sit a little bit in the context of where this originally was given to and then try to draw some stuff out of it, okay? now. We also know this, the title, Jesus, the book of Hebrews, but talking about Jesus being greater than. So there's some connection here about Jesus and what's the connection to the Old Testament. So let's read the first, just the first couple of verses, and this is from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. The author tells us, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest, For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. So I want us to make a couple connections here from the very beginning, right? The author says, and so dear brothers and sisters, this is family. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of language that we use within the family, whether it's your family at home or or here at Oikos. It's family, and this is consistent with, with the Christian faith. But then in in verse 2, we quickly, for he, that is Jesus, was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. So here we have Moses. Here we have Moses. Now, okay, kids, this is your occasion to participate. Up here, I need eyes up here. I know you got some Legos or something fun. Think about your own family, all right? Think about your own family, and this isn't just the young ones, but, you know, we can all participate. Your own family, who is the greatest person in your family? That is your parents, your aunts, uncles, grandpa, grandma, cousins, whatever it might be. Think about your own family and the stories you've heard or the things you've experienced, who would be the greatest, as you think about it, in your family? Do we have any, any ideas? Yeah, is Zach? Your dad, oh, and please stand up there. What do you have on today? He's got on Captain America. Woo! Yeah, yeah, I think, I, yes? Are you going to say, your mom, okay, we've got, the Lido's have been prepared today. This is awesome. We've got mom and dad got the first two votes, yes? Your dad, yes? Your sister, oh, nice. I like to hear these things. Now, I think we would all do something similar, And what I mean by that is that we would probably pick someone pretty close to us. Maybe a parent, or or I know that we all have come from and have seen broken families, so maybe it wasn't a parent, maybe it was an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent that really had a tremendous influence in our life. I don't know what it is in your situation. In the family of the Jews, this is the nation of Israel, Moses was the man in many ways, okay? And so we're talking generations and generations from when Moses was with God's people at this point in 60 A.D., but yet we're still appealing to Moses. Now, in the history of the faith, there's a few, especially in the Old Testament, some really big names. I'm going to probably throw out Abraham first. He's a a pretty good name, right? And then after Abraham, Abraham's children's children's children, you get Moses, who Moses we heard about, eventually you get out of the lineage of Abraham, you get King David, and and you kind of go on down the list, and there are some really, really great, great stories, narratives, uh, tellings of what those strong people of faith did that was good, and how they absolutely blew it and rebelled against God, and how they were restored, etc. So, parents, kids, eyes up here. I want you this week to find out or read one story, just something, that Moses or Abraham did, preferably Moses. There's lots of it. Go to the book of Exodus. One story of what Moses did from the Old Testament today, okay? I want you guys to do that. Parents, you guys have a role in this too. Grandparents, whomever it is. And this isn't just for the kids, this is also for all of us. So go out and do it. Now, I'm going to tell us a few things, though, about what Moses did. He was the one who nobody kind of knew who his birth mother was. Well, she did. But ultimately, when the nation of Israel is in bondage in Egypt, Moses is the one who goes at God's calling out of a burning bush in faith to go and to take his people out of Egypt. And the story of crossing the Red Sea and how God was with them, and the rest of this though, and we're going to hear about it in Hebrews, is that they had some challenges, to say the very least. But Moses was there leading them. And for the people of the Old Testament, there probably was no, no greater name than Moses well, it's probably we could make some comparison. But I mean, Moses, there is a lot of history with God's people that he directed. And, and as Pastor said last week, right? We heard in the first couple chapters that Moses was greater than the angels, I think. Or, and, and why is this? Because Moses was the one that went up on Mount Sinai that actually received the law from God, that had, that had a sitting, had an audience with Yahweh, this name that they wouldn't even speak. He had a, well, as best we could tell, a face-to-face with him. But he received that, and he came down to be that intermediary, that high priest for the people on God's behalf. So he is just... Amazing stuff. And so we go on here in in verse 3. But this is what our author tells us. Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself, for every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. So here we get to the rest of the story, if you will. Right? The author points out how great Moses is, and they all know it. Just like you know your own family's story, good and bad, they knew, the people in this day, the first century Christians, who would have come out of a Jewish background, they knew that story intimately. And not just one or two generations like we tend to do. They knew it back to the beginning. And so for the author here to say, Jesus deserves more glory than Moses, because he is not only the builder of the house, but he is in charge of everything, because he is the Son of God, is telling those people that day, Believe in Jesus. I know you want to go back to the old way because you have all this history, but don't believe in Jesus. As great as Moses was in all the work he did for God, believe and follow and hold firm in your faith in Jesus. It's a great message, right? We're going to read through some more of this, okay? So now we're going to jump forward here. Chapter 3, a few verses. Let's read the last few verses here of chapter 3 from Hebrews. The author tells us, And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Now here again tough to kind of figure out what's going on here, but the author is appealing again to the narrative of Moses, this great leader of God's people on God's behalf who, who took them out of Egypt, and then what happens? They rebel, and because of that, they wander in the desert for 40 years. I mean, could you imagine this? I know, I know in our community, we're having a tough time right now, and there's still a lot of people affected and rebuilding after Her- Harvey, and it's going to take a while. I know some of us haven't returned to work yet, and, and there's challenges that we're facing. Could you imagine being in this situation that we find ourselves, which is still pretty good, all things considered, to the rest of the world, being in this situation for 40 years? Do you think you might start to doubt if God was for you or against you? Now, let's, let's amp it up a little bit. The whole time of the 40 years that you're wandering in the desert, God is still there taking care of you. A cloud by day, fire by night, he's bringing manna, he's feeding you, but yet you still grumble. You're still convinced that it could have been better. In fact, when they finally get to the promised land, this is the people that have wandered with Moses, and they hear about the promised land, they said, what have you done to us, Moses? We would have been better off to stay back in Egypt and die there. Ooh, bad idea. (laughs) bad idea. We hear, though, in this section, wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? This call for obedience. And this is the family of God that is wandering the desert. And in this case, obedience is being called to God. But this obedience that God expects is being meted out or delivered by Moses and the priests and parents. Okay. All right, so we've had a spill down here, right? We're getting it cleaned up? Good. All right. How are we doing? Good, Rob. All right, good. I like to hear it. (laughs) Here Here comes the part about obedience. We hear about obedience from Hebrews... And the author is using an example from Moses and the people that wandered in the wilderness who were God's people in the narrative that were specifically called by him among all the nations, and he had sent Moses to care and to lead and direct them, and they were disobedient. What does this mean for us today? This is one I've struggled with, and this goes to my disclaimer as a parent Okay, so I'm going I'm to kind of talk direct here. This does not mean that I have it all figured out. But my kids are 21 and 23. We are still actively parenting them. That job never goes away. As much as you pray it might, but it never does. But I'm going to talk today because I think obedience is a combination of responsibilities. We know of people who would have loved to have had children who were not able. Maybe they've adopted, maybe they've had no kids. We we know others that didn't plan to have kids, and they came anyways. No matter the situation, a child is a gift from God. Sure, those of us who've studied biology know there's certain things you have to do to make it happen typically, right? That being said, you can do those things and not conceive. And there's just all kinds of things that come into it. Parents, you have a responsibility in your relationship with the Lord to build and create obedience in your children. Rules are a good thing. Discipline is a good thing. Now, I know many of us as parents today didn't have the best examples in the homes we grew up in modeling is important if we didn't have a good model it's tough for us to know what to do today i'll be the first one to admit it that does not remove the responsibility to understand what good godly obedience and order in the home looks like all right i'm gonna stop there for a minute kids Stop with the Legos for a minute. Be obedient, right? It is your job as children, because God gave you, your parents, to be obedient, to listen to what they say and do as they tell you. Ouch, right? It doesn't take it away, though. There is order, and we've heard, I'm not going to draw the exact parallel, but the struggle for those in the desert of disobedience to God. That wasn't just kids, that was adults. That was mature people who struggled with it. So let us not think it's something easy to do. Let us not think it's, it's something we can figure out in the course of a week. And, and, and like I said, my kids are 21 and 23, they're out of the house. That makes it a little easier, I'll tell you that much. But I've been where many of you have with younger kids. I'm gonna just share one, one quick story. And this, Carrie and I were chatting about this. Um, we chat about this. This is one of these stories for us, experiences that has come back over and over and over again. So our kids were probably four and six, living in California. And, and Carrie and I were, were out for kind of a jog and the kids on their bikes were kind of with us. And so we're kind of cruising along and the kids, are, I've got a boy and a girl, 21 months apart boy older, girl younger, and they are bickering and fighting and you know, just kind of going after each other, right? And what happens is that Carrie at one point says, you guys, that's enough. You stop or we're going home. I'm, I, I'm not sure where this came from, but I said, oh, hold on a minute. Who are we punishing here? Are we punishing the kids or us? Because we, Carrie and I, were doing what we wanted to do. And I didn't want the kids to, by their lack of obedience make a decision so that we had to stop what we wanted to do. Now, it didn't seem that kind of compelling at the time. It just made sense. But what's happened for us, looking back, and we failed over and over and over again, it allowed us to stop and say, hold a minute. Where is the order here that God gave us? Mom and dad first, marriage first, kids second, and how do we manage these things? And so again, I, I'm not sharing this because like I had it all figured out or did it all right. I want us to admit the struggle. I want us to admit the, the tiring work that is being a parent is. I want us to admit the responsibility that we have that God has given us. I want us to admit our failures. And I want us to come together and say, you know what? I, I've got a problem. I'm not sure what the heck I'm doing. Maybe we find someone else, like Carrie and I tried to do, find someone else that we could go to and hang out with and and just learn, listen, look, this is what we're thinking. Are we nuts? Yeah, you're nuts, you know. Go do this or that. But there are people in your life, there are people in this room that have gone before you. I don't care what stage you're in, there are people that you can talk with, that you can sit and listen and learn from, that have gone before you. So do that. So do that. As a parent, you've been given a wonderful opportunity by God. And I also invite you to use the line I'd use with my kids when they pick a fight with me. And I'd say, look, if you've got a problem, take it up with God. You know, he gave you to me. So your fight's with him. And I'm pretty sure he didn't answer, he didn't answer back to them too much. But it kind of got at the point, okay? All right, let's kind of get back where we are here. This is one of these kind of tangents. We're using some of this stuff to... to to move about here, right? Last verse, 19, chapter 3. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. These being the people that were wandering in the desert because of their disobedience. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to it. This line of rest, I know for some of us it might even be just an afternoon nap or something, right? With activities. This, this idea of rest though, that, and we didn't read this part, but he's... Uh, the author actually talks about this is the kind of rest that God gives the term we use as Sabbath in the narrative of creation which would be extremely compelling for the Jews and for Israel and it should be for us what did God do on the seventh day he rested God himself rested And so this is is the fullness of this kind of rest that the author is talking about, is that because of these folks who were wandering and were disobedient, did not believe, their faith lacked, that they wandered, they found no rest in God. But yet, as our author tells us, God's promise of entering His rest still stands. The promise of rest is for you this day also. And again, this goes back to, I know, the situations we're in. I know that school, kids have gotten back to school. Maybe our kids aren't in school yet. Schedules are getting hectic again. There's things that we know in the anxieties of the situation where, where people are struggling with the impact of the flooding. We have maybe friends, family, co-workers that are still struggling through that. They've been displaced. Maybe they're living at our house. The idea of rest is so far from our mind, it gets no thought. In God's economy and God's activity, there certainly is rest from a physical perspective. That is to say, there is a time to sleep. (laughs) There is a time to rest. There is a time to restore. There is a time to close our eyes and turn the lights off. There is a time to put our cell phones away and put them on mute or turn them off. There is a time to rest. But the rest in God is farther than just physical. It is also there an in invitation for spiritual, emotional well-being, recognizing that if we, are, if we are God's, he has everything in the palm of his hands, including us. And so though we may be active physically and even emotionally, there is an opportunity for us to rest in the Lord to cast it upon him, to let him take it from us, to share and, and speak out loud and give the prayers of the struggles we have as, as parents, the struggles we have as, as children of God, the struggles we have in society, as newlyweds, as planting a church, as deciding on a career. Whatever it is, there is rest being offered in Christ. And this is through faith from first to last And the invitation is there every day, just like it was in the author back in 60 A.D. It's the same invitation today. So let's move on here. We're now in Hebrews chapter 4. As the author says, So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering His rest, and that time is today. Today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, I'm not King David. And a lot of this comes out of another great man in the faith who wrote many of our psalms. When you hear the Lord's word, do not harden your heart. I trust and pray and my prayer continues to be that my words this day are faithful according to the Spirit of God. And I also know that there's opportunity, whether this morning, that what I'm saying is, is too compelling, too direct, or your situation, or if your kids are going bonkers and you're thinking, hey, I just need some time, whatever it is, make the effort, pray for the Lord to soften your heart. Ask Him to give you rest. Ask Him to give you His Spirit in a way that your ears open and your heart softens. The Spirit of God can do amazing things in the quiet, still moments, even if they're really, really short. (laughs) And I know that's the case, especially for young families even if they're really short. All right, our author goes on. And this is some of the sweetest stuff. Just drink this in for a minute. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the, two, the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, I say this is some of the sweetest words. Those can be some of the most difficult words to hear as well. Because I know by nature we all have secrets. I know by nature we have things that we are ashamed of. I know by nature we have things that we will not share even with the most trusted confidant in the world. So to hear that your creator, that your savior knows those, whether you share them or not, can be really wonderful, great news. Or it can be really like, I really didn't want the Lord to know that one. I don't know where you find yourself today, and I suspect it probably varies from day to day and situation to situation. But I I want you to hear, order in this situation matters. What I mean by that, different than order before, order in the situation matters. God is the God of creation that spoke all things into being. God is the one who created You and knew you before you were even knit together in your mother's womb. God is the one who knows every step and thought of your life. And so it is true to say that the scriptures that the Lord knows you better than you know yourself. Sin is real. Sin is like sand thrown into the engine that just tears things up. It kind of still looks the same, but it doesn't work like it was intended to. So our job as believers, as the family of God, is to continually check ourselves against this measure that God gave us. And, And most specifically given to us in the Scriptures is that we continually say, okay, am I trying to... To get the Scriptures to do what I want it to do, or am I letting it inform me? You see this, this, this idea of order? So as we think about kids, we talk about faith, we talk about how we go about this. It's an ongoing lesson of how does our faith, how is it informed by what the Lord has given us, because He knows me. He knows me, Rob, better than I know myself. The Scriptures know me better than I know myself. I should not be trying to take all my questions to the Scriptures, but let the Scriptures tell me what questions I should be asking. It's an important step here as we look at what what our author is telling us about the Word of God being alive and powerful. The Word in its most basic and closest form from what God gave us being Jesus. The Word Himself incarnate. And so here we go on to the last section. Our author wraps up chapter 4 with these words. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now, i got to stop here because do you guys ever use the word high priest in your language? I don't. I'll be the first one to say I don't. But this, is again, is one of these things that we just need to stop for a minute and see what's the context from Hebrews and thus being informed by the Old Testament. So keep in mind here, the high priest was the one, especially in the nation of Israel, that went to have face time with the presence of God in the tent of meeting, if you want to think about it that way. But he would go on behalf of the people. right? You can almost kind of look at it this way. right? The high priest would go on behalf of the people to God And there he would cast the sins of the people before God and make sacrifice and then God would forgive the sins and then the priest would return and he would then cast that forgiveness across God's people. So from the author's perspective to say that Jesus is our high priest, it's, it's the same thing as saying like Jesus is Moses, right? They know what Moses did. What the function was of the high priest. But again, let's keep in mind here because Jesus has already been said that he has deserved more glory than Moses for a reason. Since then, since so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest, Jesus, of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced them all, he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, the difference is this high priest, this Jesus, not was a representative of God, but he is God. This high priest Jesus, this Savior was God incarnate that came into our fleshly existence who humbled himself to the point to leave his throne upon high with the Father to come and to be born of a woman to take on flesh to experience the same temptations. Now, I'll be the first one to say that Jesus never had any kids. (laughs) Never had to worry about that sort of thing. But yet, he knew it all. You know, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Being a parent, being a, a son or a daughter, it's, it's just an example of struggles elsewhere. It all goes back to is, is God the Lord of your life or not? And there's lots and lots of ways for him not to be. And there's temptations at every turn. And it's the exact same thing that Jesus would have experienced on this earth. How, I mean, I, I don't know how to relate to this, but... But when Jesus then, who knows who he is, who has demonstrated his, his control over creation, his, his ability to give life, to calm the storms, to raise the dead, to, to make the, the lepers clean, to give sight, when he goes and he's before Pilate and they ask if he's done these things, how, I know what I would have done. No, it wasn't me, right? It wasn't me. But what did Jesus do? Knowing that exactly who he was, he kept his mouth shut. And ultimately, he would give his life because he would be killed as a criminal would. He'd be hung on a tree. So this high priest Jesus wasn't just an intermediary with an audience before God. This high priest Jesus, our Savior, is God in the flesh, the ultimate sacrifice one time for all. In fact, what we can say is that all of the Old Testament, all of the Law and the Prophets and Moses and anyone that would have come before then were all looking forward to Jesus, not quite knowing how it was going to work out, but they had a promise and they knew that God was going to send send that salvation at some point. And all of us today, and from 60 A.D. in the book of Hebrews to current and going forward, we all look back at Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. God's entire salvation history is wrapped up in that three-day experience. Now, it's bigger than that, but that is the focal point of all of salvation history. Now, together, Old Testament, New Testament, people today are waiting for Christ to return again. And until he does, sin still has its day with us. This is the great conundrum. Why would a loving God who comes to us as a baby, as a young man, as a Savior who gives his Son to die and rises again, why would he let sin continue to have its way with us? I mean, spend some time looking around the last month, the last two months, the last hour, the last two hours, if you want to probably look at the news, or the kind of, of impact that sin has in this world with, with storms, with death, with disease, with, with wars, with whatever it is. This isn't just about what I do personally in my marriage or how I'm raising my kids or what my kids are doing or not. This is about creation itself under the weight of sin. We see this, folks. We see these challenges that that everything is yearning for Christ's return. (sighs) But until that point, we're in this together. We're in this together practicing what the life of faith looks like. We're in this together, working on what obedience is, and we fall down, we get back up. We work at this together, living the life of faith, that is to say the things we're doing today, gathering as a family to worship God like so many other Christians around the world. We live this as we go out into the world This afternoon and tomorrow in our workplaces and neighborhoods and we have a hope that is not conquered by anything in this world. We have a hope that will last forever and we pray and we look forward to and we ask and we call upon God to come quickly again in Christ Jesus. So that the resurrection must be fulfilled and we can see what this means forever. It's at that point that sin and death and the devil will be cast away completely and that's the hope we look forward to. So today we've had a little bit of time to talk through this. Hopefully, I pray that by the Spirit, there's something you can take out of today. Because Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than anything else we can encounter. And Jesus has given us a gift as a family, the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters and parents and children in the faith to do this together. I hope you see the invitation. I hope you take the invitation. I hope you practice this, the things that Oikos as a family is doing. Tap into them. Spend a little time reading through Hebrews. It's tough. Just go back and read chapters 3 and 4. Assignments, right? Kids, ask your parents, or grandparents, whomever, to read a story, find a story about Moses from Exodus. That's a good one to pick. There's some pretty cool stuff for you boys. I know how it is. They kind of, you know, want to get active. There's some really, like, amazing, like, stuff that, trust me, go read it. It's pretty cool. All right? So go read that. That's one. The second one is spend some time reading in Hebrews. We're going to be in this for a few more weeks. There's things you can do. There's devotions in the morning you can tap into and be connected with. Let's, um, let's wrap up with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this time. Though it might be a moment for us to just be set aside, uh, to come and to hear your word, we pray, Father, that according to your spirit, we have heard today in ways that have caused us to, to admit our shortcomings, to repent, to hear the words of forgiveness, to know, Father, that we have a Savior that knows every content of our life and our thoughts, and our secrets, and loves us no matter any of it. In fact, He invites us to come to Him, Father, and to speak them. And so, Father, we we thank you for that invitation, Father. We hope that by Your Spirit, more of us would come to to speak them out loud and to come and receive the forgiveness that our, is ours in Christ. And Father, as we depart this place, keep us strong in the faith, protect us in this world, keep us from the evil one. And Father, especially for families today who have kids, help us, Father. It's a lot going on. It's busy. It's tiring. Help us to find rest in you. It's for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that we pray these things. The people of God said, amen. Amen.